Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Business. Just business. Howdy, finance folks, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I like talking to modern finance professionals with interesting backgrounds and a real story to tell. This episode definitely meets that goal. I spoke with Chris Seibold, who went from a CFO for hire to teaching and investing in university students in the Founder.org program to handling finance for a generational wine business in Burgundy, France. Today, he's CFO at Gemini Data, a data storytelling company. Its mission is to make it easier to see, understand, and communicate the complex so people can learn faster and do their jobs better. We explored Chris's career chronologically and delved into the reasons behind each significant move. You'll hear about the challenges and triumphs in each pursuit and his close connection to the entrepreneurs behind the businesses. Chris is a great talker and I really think you're going to like this one. As always, the show is brought to you by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Chris Seibold, welcome to CFO Yeah. Hey, Patrick. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, as the listeners will soon find out, you're one of the rare podcast guests who comes with a fully built-in narrative, a three-act play almost. So to begin, I'd love you to just tell that narrative for our audience. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I'd say, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, at heart an operational finance guy. Um, I've been working in tech uh, in Silicon Valley for the past 25 years, uh, most recently and currently uh, as COO and CFO of, of Gemini Data, an enterprise software company. I've done a lot of interesting things over the course of my career, all within finance, um, but for very different types of, of companies. I've, I've spent a little bit of time on the investor side, um, did a lot of software companies, some you know hardware-related companies, and then actually uh, you know uh, a, a wine company in France. And so I think for me, it's always been very, very important to kind of have a, a variety of experiences throughout my career, different types of companies, you know, different different slants on finance, if you will. Um, and yeah, I, I'd love to talk about some of my experiences today. Okay, well let's do that. Let's go back to Act One. You were working as a CFO for hire and then eventually found yourself at founder.org. Yes, I was doing the, the, the part-time or fractional CFO uh, work for about four years, um, which is you know very, very typical model. And I think there's even more people that are doing it today um, for startups or early stage companies that really, you know, they need some finance guidance, um, mm. but they don't really need, you know, a full-time CFO at that early stage. And so, yeah, I was doing that for, like I said, four years. Um, and then, you know, was kind of thinking this is, this is great, but I, I miss being really part of a team of one team rather than being the guy who kind of shows up a day a week or a couple of days a week and, you know, 
does some things <laughs> and then leaves and it's not really fully incorporated into the company. So while I was doing that work, um, I ran into just very chance meeting on the street in San Francisco uh, of a guy called Michael Baum, who I had worked with, gosh, probably at that point, you know, 10 years prior um, at, a, at a search engine called InfoSeek. Um, one of the first search engines um, got sold to Disney back in the day. Um, and yeah, had kind of fallen out of touch with him, but ran into him and he told me about this program that he had started called founder.org. Um, where he was essentially mentoring and giving some funding to student-run uh, startups, student founders, whether they are or whether they were um, undergraduate students or graduate students, but basically in school still um, doing the whole you know dorm room dorm room startup thing. Um, and and he you know he asked me like, hey, do you have a little bit of time? I've just started. And I have the first 10 companies that are going through this year-long program. Do you have some time to do some mentoring and maybe talk to them about you know, building an operating plan and finance-related matters, fundraising? And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I would love to, to get involved. And then after a couple months, you know, Michael just said, hey, why don't you just join full-time? And um, you know, I loved the work that I had been doing with those teams and said, yeah, absolutely. You know, did, did not hesitate. Um, because like I said, I was kind of ready for a change at that point anyway. So, um, so yeah, it was with founder.org and that first year, you know, we had 10 companies, uh, that came in, into the program. The next year we did about, uh, 35 or 40. And then that last year we did 50. Wow. Um, and yeah, and it was, you know, we found these companies at universities. And so we initially started with you know, more local, local folks. So Stanford, Berkeley. Um, and then by the time, you know, we really got the program going, we were working with 50 universities across the U S and in and Europe as well. Uh, so, you know, that was fantastic. And that's, I think we were kind of very early with the belief that you can find great companies and great founders anywhere. Um, not just in, you know, the Bay area, so, um, so yeah, we, we did that. Um, we ran a competition essentially where we took applications once a year and would get these, uh, you know, incoming folks from, from these 50 universities. And we would narrow that down to, you know, the, the, the final group, whether it's 35 or 50. Um, and then uh, they were with us for a full year. This was not, it, it's, it was like an accelerator, except there was no kind of, hey, come to our working, you know, come to our, our office and you're going to work out of our space and, you know, you're going to kind of live here for a year. It was very much virtual mm. um, since we were dealing with folks in, you know, across many, many <laughs> time zones. Um, but we, we developed this whole curriculum that we called the 8D program. So it was the eight dimensions of what you need to, to consider when building and scaling a, a business. So some of those dimensions were, you know, idea, team, product, uh, operating plan, fundraising. And then we, uh, we would essentially take them through this curriculum in the form of challenges that they had to complete through the course of the year, you know, obviously on their own companies. So it was very hands-on, real-world uh, learning, not, not sort of academic. Um, and we would get together you know, four times in the year for, for um, kind of live sessions. 
you know, intense kind of working sessions. And then um, after a year, you know, they, they would move on. But during the course of that year, we would um, often invest, you know, do, do a small seed investment and normally the first money in for a lot of these companies who were typically pre-product, certainly pre-revenue uh, when they joined. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was the, how the program was run. And the, the impetus for it was really, you know, Michael had, uh, Michael's a serial entrepreneur, had had great success with his last company, Splunk, a big data platform company that, that went public back in, I think, 2010 or 11. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, his whole thesis around let's start founder.org was the job creation that is, you know, the, 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 the biggest chunk of job creation that's come from, you know, has come from startups over the past, uh, you know, 10, 15 years. It's not, it's not like the general electrics of the world that are creating the new jobs. It's, it's the Googles, it's the Facebooks, it's, it's all of these disruptive companies. And if we want to have, you know, more opportunities for all greater economic growth, we need to get young people starting businesses earlier um, and, you know, he, his motto was always like, we want to keep young, young, bright graduates off the street, meaning Wall Street, you know, right. don't go join a, an investment bank, don't go, don't go join a, a consulting company, like, build something. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that, that was dub, dovetailed very well for, I think, where, you know, the university students were, were going anyway, which is like, let's not wait until we have some quote unquote real world work experience to actually do something crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, let's, let's do it now when we don't have um, mortgages and families and, and all that, <laughs> all that stuff that comes later. So, um, so yeah, it was, um, it was a fantastic program. I think we were pretty early on when it came to accelerators and certainly kind of having that global aspect um, was a really key component for us. I could see why university students would want to take part in a program like that. Uh, the idea of of walking away from your time at, at school with a, a real business, potentially, uh, is pretty appealing. I'm interested in why you wanted to be part of the project, because to me, it sounds like fun, yes, and you get to meet a lot of bright uh, students, but there must also have been a lot of people management and um, personalities to deal with. Well, it definitely it definitely was a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, when you're you're trying to, you know, you're developing the curriculum, and I also kind of handled the internal, you know, finance um, uh, operations of the company, and so you know, doing all these investments and uh, being part of the team that decided, okay, who are we going to invest in? How much are we going to do? What are the terms? All that good stuff. Um, but then also, you know, having a subset of those teams that I was responsible for kind of being the main mentor mentor on, um, and then being available to everybody else, um, <laughs> when they, when they had a question around, you know, an area that I was a, a subject matter expert in. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 that's, I guess, again, I go back to the, 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 the thought that finance once you kind of have systems and processes up and running, yeah, I mean, there's things that you tweak. There's always something interesting to work on. But, um, you know, I love variety and I love to be learning about new things. And so what really made it exciting for me 
with founder.org was not just, okay, I can share my expertise and kind of be some small part of these companies' journeys over, over the next you know, few years, but um, just being able to learn about um, and meet, meet some fascinating people, I guess, first of all, um, and, and learn about things that I had not really come into contact with. You know, we, we did a little bit of biotech. We, we did, you know, some medical device stuff, like areas where I hadn't really worked in. And I just found super interesting. Um, you know, we, we had all sorts of crazy companies. We had a team um, out of MIT that, you know, developed this uh, new plastic from, uh, from lemon rinds. Um, so wow. <laughs> it's like, that's the, yeah, that's, that's the kind of, you know, rocket science types that we were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just like, I mean, it's, it, it was just so cool to, to learn about, you know, you, I certainly couldn't tell them a lot about, you know, the, the manuring, manufacturing process and scaling that up for a plastics company or for, you know, kind of chemicals company, but I could, could add value when they were, you know, negotiating terms with their first, you know, investors and, um, you know, gave them guidance on that. And so, yeah, I just, it was, um, again, it was, it was a fantastic opportunity. And um, if we hadn't gotten busy with other projects, I think I'd still, you know, be doing that. I like being, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to be on the investor side um, and tell people what to do uh, and decide to give them money or not versus being on the other side where you're, you're kind of, you know, pitching them and, and, you know, asking for money. Uh, so, you know, not, I, I like both, but um, I, I definitely love the founder.org experience. It was for me, again, it was a no brainer and having worked with Michael in the past um, and, you know, looking to him as a mentor and somebody who, who obviously had had a lot of success. Um, you know, those are the kinds of people that you want to work with. And what was it like to be the person handing out money rather than the person uh, always asking for money? Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot less. I mean, of course, you know, certainly VCs they have everyone's got pressure. They've got pressure from their limited partners. They know they know they need to have you know show the performance. They need to be careful about you know how they how they how they spend that uh, that fund. And so I don't want to belittle that at all. But um, yeah, it is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. And again, I I you know there's there's part of me that likes to you know share whatever knowledge I've, I may have kind of gained over the past 30 years um, and so that's you know that's a very re- rewarding thing to do um, I think if I had been you know we'd been kind of more just a traditional VC fund that you know that would have been interesting too but it probably would have been less interesting you know for me certainly being a CFO of a fund I think it would be very different not really being so much on the investment side. Were there particular skills developed or lessons learned that you've been able to apply since? Yeah, I, oh, definitely. And in fact, um, I, I still, you know, I still go back to some of these challenges because, again, even though, you know, we were the team that were, um, you know, teaching or kind of going through this curriculum, a lot of the times when you actually have to do it yourself, you you kind of forget, <laughs> you know, and then you you find yourself going down the wrong path and you're like, wait a minute, oh, I need to like reset and go back to basics here. Let me pull up that, uh, you know, uh, investor targeting challenge from founder.org and okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually skipping a step here. Why am I, why am I doing this? Let me, let me get back to basics. Um, so absolutely. I do go back to that all the time. And I think I also, you know, I reviewed so many 
decks over the course of those three years um, that I also, you know, it helped me to improve my ability to tell a story um, and to understand really like what are those things that you need to, you know, you need, you need to pick up on and just watching some of the, the trajectories of some of these companies um, has also been super helpful for me. In fact, I've gotten um, investor intros from, from some of these founders who have, you know, at this point gone on to raise series B, series C. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, I definitely have also leveraged that community, um, very, you know, special group of, of, you know, a hundred companies and the founders, um, there that, um, continue to be a really you know, great part of my network. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. Let's turn now to act two of your career. And if I tried to think of maybe the furthest thing from a Silicon Valley incubator, I might think of a traditional multi-generational French wine business. Uh, so how did you find yourself running finance at Chateau de Pomar? So again, that's, that's um, so much, so many opportunities come about just based on, you know, the people that you're working with and, and the teams that you, you know, you've kind of associated with over the past. So, um, so yeah, that's also, you know, Michael, uh, a Michael Baum project. Um, when we actually, um, the first year of founder.org, he was actually living in Paris um, with his family. Um, his, you know, it's his, he and his wife are, big uh, Francophiles and, you know, they wanted to have um, the experience of living there and, and uh, their kids were in, in the, the uh, French school there for a year. And so as he was getting ready to come back to the States, he called me up and was like, Hey, I think I, I think I'm going to do something here. <laughs> like before I head back, I'm going to, I'm thinking about, you know, purchasing this fairly sizable, you know, wine business in Burgundy you know, can you come over here and, um, you know, we can go down there and we can, you know, figure out kind of negotiate this deal because, you know, I'm pretty sure I want to do it. And I was like, wow, okay, uh, absolutely. So um, the next day was on a plane over to Paris and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously I had the finance background, but I also speak French. I, I studied French in college and I had Worked in France um, right after university. I did an internship uh, in a bank in Paris, and so I was like, "Wow, this is great! All of my, you know, my my languages and my finance experience are coming together on this awesome opportunity." So, uh, yeah, went down to Burgundy, and um, the Chateau de Pomar had been, you know, in the same family for I don't know a couple hundred years. Um, the then there was a a, a person, um, a, you know, French guy. Who had bought the hotel? Uh, sorry, bought the chateau um, and the business, um, and had owned it for ten years. And this was the gentleman that was selling it now in 2014. And yeah, I mean, it was pretty. You know, we were pretty quick. Um, went down there. 
you know, talked to the owners, negotiated uh, price, did, did some due diligence, obviously. Um, but yeah, kind of, it, it went pretty quickly, um, just getting the deal done. And in fact, the, you know, the final documentation we actually did from here and um, the lat, like we had a deadline. I can't remember what was driving it. Probably the, the seller. <laughs> you know, just wanted to get it done fast. And we had, we had, you know, we had some parameters that we had to work in. And so, um, yeah, that last, you know, I basically pulled an all nighter on the phone with the attorneys and, you know, got to be around five 30 in the morning and it was like, okay, everything was ready to go. And I, I just, you know, I called Michael and I was like, I'm freaking out. Are you sure you want to do this? It's like, this is a big, this is a, this is a big deal, you know? And it's not like, it's not like spending, you know, VC's money. It's like, it, you know, it's your money. And I, you know, like just before we <laughs> totally finalize this, like, this is, this is good. Right. He's like, absolutely. Yes. You know, and that's, you know, that's a testament to a great entrepreneur. There's just kind of like move forward. We're doing it. So, uh, so anyway, we, we got that done and yeah, and initially, you know, I was splitting my time between founder.org, which was very much still, you know, going, going on, uh, and, uh, and the, the wine business. And so, you know, was spending a week out of the month, uh, over in France and, you know, initially it was really, I mean, I don't know if you know much about Burgundy, but it's, it's, I'd say it's a lot more kind of, um, the, the reputation is like, it's, it's a lot more closed. It's not like Burgundy where, you, you know, I'm sorry, it's not like uh, Bordeaux where you have, you know, a ton of, you know, ton of tourists, a lot of, you know, I'd say Bordeaux, uh, Bordeaux is much more kind of um, focused outside and getting their wines really out in the world more. Um, and so obviously yeah, a lot of foreign tourists, you know, going through Bordeaux, Burgundy is, was a little bit different. Um, and so I, th I think a lot of what we focused on initially was like, Hey, don't be scared, you know, of the American, you know, Silicon Valley entrepreneur coming in and, you know, changing everything and, oh my God, there goes tradition. And, and there goes, you know, <laughs> our beloved, you know, uh, uh, Chateau de Pomar, um, very much, you know, I think there was a lot of like really PR kind of on the ground with the, with the people in the company. You know, we met with the mayor, we kind of tried to be a very, we, we still, I mean, they still tried to, to, to do, you know, reach out to local other wineries, other, you know, hotels and helping to develop tourism in the area. Mm. Um, so I'd say, you know, I think initially it was a lot of just like, hey, you know, don't worry. Um, and then it was, you know, much more like um, figuring out, okay, how do we kind of take this business into the future? And that's, you know, I'd say as far as the, as far as the winemaking, um, as far as the, you know, the approach to like building a great product, nobody's messed with any of that. I mean, it's still the, the same winemaker that was there. Um, and he, and, you know, his name's Emmanuel Sala. He's, he's fantastic. He and Michael very much kind of like minds as far as the approach and the biodynamic um, approach to, to winemaking at the Chateau. And so that's really, you know, that traditional approach hasn't been touched. What, what's different is really around selling and marketing. And so, um, you know, there was definitely, I mean, as far as the, as far as the branding and kind of even stuff like redesign of the bottle, redesign of the labels, 
like it's a very different aesthetic than you know what was there prior um, because we are you know trying to reach out to a new generation of of wine lovers and so um some of that i mean was a little bit difficult again going going into this very traditional business um and kind of disrupting again like the the marketing side um there was i i remember this very clearly because there was a there was a woman that that um, worked at the company that you know, had been in Burgundy, her family had been in Burgundy for like hundreds of years and came from a very traditional winemaking family. And she, when she saw the new label, she was like, she was like visibly shaken <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of like gave me this passionate, like with tears in her eyes, like, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, this is really bad. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, it's, it's just like any other business, you know, you do have to, you know, adapt um, to stay relevant. And so again, the product's the same, um, but how it's sold much more focus on, you know, online sales um, versus traditionally, you know, the majority of sales had been on site, people coming to the Chateau, doing tasting and then and buying while they were there. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's the piece that I think out of every, I mean, we did, we did a lot in terms of like systems, you know, bringing in Salesforce, kind of, um, professionalizing a lot of the way that, you know, um, sales and support, you know, were, were done, um, and kind of, you know, upgraded, invested in, in, in some things that, you know, should have been there. Um, and there was definitely, you know, there were, there were folks that were on board with that, just like any, you know, just like any, you know, acquisition. It's like, there's, you know, there are folks that are like, yeah, I'm excited about this new journey. And then there are folks who are kind of like, this is not, this is too much. (laughs) So, you know, so there was definitely some turnover and some kind of re, um, designing of, of jobs. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, again, that, the Michael's vision with this business was like, I want to bring Burgundy to the world. And so that meant doing more, you know, making it more appealing to, you know, a broader audience, um, not just kind of the 80 year old Burgundy snob. Um, but, uh, you know, the 25 year old, you know, person who's just discovering wine and, um, and then that's really, you know, continued with um, his launch of this online experience, you know, wine experience platform called Vivant. Um, and now what they're doing is, um, you know, taking that one step further and, and basically, you know, you can sign up uh, for a tasting, an online, you know, virtual tasting. They'll send you like small, you know, little bottles of different wines to try. I mean, little bottle, like little flat, you know, kind of like uh, tubes, right? Like right. picture a test tube where there's a couple glasses worth in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not just for Burgundy and not certainly not just for Chateau de Pomard wines, but Burgundy wines. And then there's, you know, there's other regions. Loire, I think, um, is up. Champagne is up. And, you know, he's going to be doing this with wines from around the world. So it's, again, it's like, okay, it's all about, um bringing these wines from sometimes you know smaller producers giving them a better audience a better way to sell a better way to reach new customers um and so it's super exciting you know what he's done and what he's continuing to do there so i'd say you know yeah there's there definitely will always be the traditionalists who want to do things a certain way um but um again it's like you know, we're, we're always talking about disruption or about innovation. And it's like, 
that applies to every industry. So, um, so yeah, that's, and you know, for me, for a finance guy, I mean, again, that was a completely different business. I'm not used to working with inventory. I, you know, I'm not even used to really having anything on, on the balance sheet and the inventory <laughs> account. And so, um, you know, inventory of wine, but also inventory of labels and corks and bottles and all that stuff, the barrels. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it was a super learning experience for me. Mm. And I would imagine that reporting that you've mentioned, um, particularly around inventory levels, especially if you're supplying the same, I don't know, restaurants and, and buyers regularly, those are the kinds of things that you needed to prioritize right away? Well, definitely. And definitely, you know, as far as like a detailed operating plan, uh, you know, that didn't really exist. And again, it was, you know, it was kind of like, all right, well, we, we sell wine, you know, we can kind of forecast number of visitors, and, you know, yes, we do some selling over the phone as well. And let's just try to sell more, um, so, you know, <laughs> versus like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, and I, I definitely, you know, my experience there was like, okay, let's, you know, let's kind of get our arms around this and start getting some things in place. And then, um, you know, splitting my time, um, I started splitting my time, you know, amongst that and founder org and then you know gemini at the very beginning mm -hmm. and so that got a that got um you know a little bit difficult to to juggle and so you know i'd say honestly the best thing that i did at at chateau de pomar was to find um a fantastic replacement you know local replacement um victoria who's the the finance director there has been uh, has been fantastic so yeah i'm you know like i said it's it's it, it, i think about my career in the past you know six years is really kind of a series of really cool projects. <laughs> yeah, well, let's move on to the next in that series then, Gemini Data. For those who aren't familiar with the company, um, what do we need to know? Absolutely. So, yeah, so Gemini, uh, again, enterprise uh, software company that started out um, really helping Splunk specifically, but big data platform um, users, IT users, helping them to get it uh, get those big big data platforms up and running quickly um, and made it easier to manage them. And so again, we had a lot of, you know, obviously Michael started Splunk. We had a lot, we have a lot of Splunk DNA um, in the company. And, you know, that was kind of the initial, like, okay, we see a pain point here. Um, and again, we're talking about on-premise on deployments of a big data platform like Splunk. Super complex software, great. I mean, it, it works great. Um, but it does require, you know, a certain level of expertise with the system to really, you know, get it deployed properly. And so what, uh, where Gemini started was, look, we've got, we've got software that, that does it. it makes, instead of, you know, taking six months to get this thing up and running, it's literally, you know, in a day. And so um, that was, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the, the genesis of the company. I'd say what we're, working on now with our new product explore is we're kind of taking this core notion of making the complex easier um, and taking that to a broader broader audience so explore is basically um, a universal graphing engine it, it leverages some graph database technology that basically helps you visualize relationships between complex data um, so think of it as a, you know, it is somewhat of a, a business intelligence tool. It's a visualization tool to, to basically help people do their jobs better by 
quickly grasping like what's going on here with this data. And that's, you know, we hear a lot of talk about, you know, insights and, um, you know, mm -hmm. sifting through all this data to really kind of get the, the gold nugget. Um, and that's, you know, we found that there are certain types of, of data that doesn't really lend itself well to traditional BI tools and looking at things in like a, a graphical or, or a, you know, tabular format or even kind of, you know, pie chart or, you know, um, uh, different types of charts and, and graphs. The, the Explore interface is designed, again, to really help you see how things are connected. And so um, that's what we're doing now. We're starting with our existing, you know, 100 plus customers who are already using Gemini Manage, which was our first product. Mm -hmm. And they're using Explore to first visual, like visualize their IT uh, uh, department or visualize their Splunk deployment. They're using it for troubleshooting. Well, when something goes down, what, you know, how can I, how can I figure out where the problem is starting? Um, how can I understand you know, user permissions and who has access to what, and just kind of at a glance. Um, so that's, you know, those are, that's like the first IT use case for Explore. Um, and then we're, you know, but the great thing about Explore is that it's a much broader audience um, than just Splunk users. And so, you know, we're talking business users and I can kind of go into how I'm using it a little bit uh, in finance, but, um, but yeah, that's, so that's what we're doing. And I got involved because, um, you know, again, uh, we have a lot, I, I have a lot of Splunk um, folks in my network, obviously including Michael, a colleague of mine um, at founder.org started the company and Michael was, or Michael is on the board still, Michael's invested. And so, you know, they needed a little bit of help early on, again, just on a part-time basis. So uh, I got involved and started helping out on the planning side and just kind of, you know, doing some advisory work. And then eventually, um, as Michael got really very focused on Chateau de Pomard, um, founder.org, you know, we, we, we basically sunsetted that, or, you know, we're still working with the, the portfolio companies, but we're not doing any new investments. We're not doing the program um, at this point in time. Um, I just, I, again, I, I decided I needed to focus more on one thing. Um, and so, you know, Gemini was here based in Bay area and I said, all right, I'm going to, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to focus on. We're going we're to make something great out of this. And what are your main challenges in the role? Gosh, um, as you know, just like any startup, there's not enough resources. Um, there's never enough, you know, time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously COVID-19 pandemic threw everybody for a loop. And so that was, that's presented some, its own challenges. Are those financial challenges or more on the people side? I'd say it's, I'd say it's been much more on the people side, you know, as far as like the, the financial results, it ha it's, I'd say that first quarter, you know, um, and we are on a January 31st year end. So like mm -hmm. starting in February, really March and April, when everyone was like, oh my God, everybody just started shutting their offices. And we're, you know, we're very much kind of a, you know, typical enterprise software company where we're relying on salespeople and, and, and meetings, you know, very, very much, you know, in-person meetings quite often. Um, we were kind of like, wow, okay. So we had some deals that got delayed uh, because people were really trying to figure out and more so our customers than us. Uh, we've always been a pretty you know, remote uh, first company, but um, 
you know, it's like, you know, we deal with large, uh, you know, corporations. And so, you know, some of the stuff where it's like, can we get the right, where's the purchasing guy? Like, where's, you know, where, where, <laughs> where do things stand? It's like, oh yeah. You know, every, you just had the sense that everyone at the same time, you know, across the globe was trying to figure out how to work in this new way and things got delayed. Um, but luckily for us, I mean, we have um, very loyal customers, you know, our, our renewal, renewal rates are extremely high. Those, those didn't get, uh, delayed too much. Some of the new deals, though, definitely took us longer to close. But I'd say, you know, we we weren't helped by the the pandemic, but we we weren't really hurt, you know, from a deal perspective either. I'd say, yeah, the challenge for us um, has been much more on, you know, working together as a team. Like we, like I said, we're 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 pretty remote. We have a big team in Taiwan. Our development team is there. And then we have, you know, folks working from home in in Europe uh, and throughout the U.S. But we also did, you know, have a, a Bay Area uh, headquarters. And so, you know, now all of us in the Bay Area, our lease was up. Um, you know, we had good timing from that regard. Our lease was up July 31st, and so it was like, okay, well, let's <laughs> let's figure out, you know, when, if, and when we're going to need another physical space in the Bay Area. Um, and, but yeah, but still, you know, it's kind of like, um, you do, I've worked remotely before for other companies, you know, hundred percent. Um, and you know, it's, it's always a balance. It's like, we get a lot more done in some ways, uh, by just not having the distractions and a lot of, you know, I don't know, uh, disruptions during the workday, right. When someone walks in your office. Um, but you also, you do, you know, you have to be very, conscious about creating like a space to have more um spontaneous i you know idea discussions or just kind of discussions with people that maybe you don't necessarily see or you're not in meetings with on zoom you know on a weekly basis um but you got to make an effort to reach out and just you know check in on people i mean it's been hard on everyone uh, to, to kind of be in, in lockdown mode for much of the past year. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's kind of maintaining that human connection, you know, for, for everybody. Um, and then also like not losing that, um, you know, shared sense of like, Hey, we're, we're all, you know, we're all in this together still, even though we don't see each other in person <laughs> these days. Um, but, you know, let's, you know, let's not forget of, about the, you know, the big goals that we have here. Um, and, and um, you know, let's, you know, we're all still a team, even though we're maybe not, you know, seeing each other as much. Yeah. And then aside from all of the team building, which is obviously really important, you also have those wonderful accidental ideas that come just because you are having a coffee with someone or a drink at the end of the day. I worry that we're sort of missing these all the time because we're not just having those organic moments with our colleagues. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, the way that we've gotten around that is, you know, initially we were doing kind of a, uh, at first it was daily, you know, um, just kind of session where at lunchtime, it, uh, you know, for, for the Bay Area folks, like lunchtime, you can just dial into Zoom and we can talk about whatever, you know, what's going on at work, what's going on outside of work. Um, and that, I think that was helpful. And then it kind of, 
you know, after a while, I think people were like, okay, you know, we can reach out to people when we, when we want to kind of thing. Um, but one thing that has been super helpful for us is, um, and we're working on this right now as we do these hackathons, um, where again, going back to explore, you know, there's so many use cases for, you know, this, this visualization engine that, um, it's, it's helpful for us to work in teams to actually figure out, okay, what are the different, what, what else can we do with Explore? Um, and so, you know, we typically bring together people that, again, wouldn't necessarily be working together, you know, on a regular basis. And so um, that's what we've been working now. We're actually going to be our, um, our, you know, company kickoff, sales kickoff is happening next week. And we're all going to be demoing our, uh, our use cases with Explore. And, um, you know, it's, 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 again, it's been a way for me to really like work very closely with three other people in the company that again, I, you know, obviously I, I mean, we're not that huge of a company. I know everybody and I, you know, I have an opportunity to interact with folks, but you know, not, not to this level where we're, you know, obviously we're working on a project work related project, but we're also talking about other things and it's good. You know, I can kind of get a sense for how people are feeling and how people are doing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. And actually, you know, the, the really cool thing about this use case is it's actually something that, um, it's, it's finance related and, um, it's something that I'm super excited about. Um, we act, we, so the, the use case that we've kind of focused on is, is really around fundraising. You know, we'll be raising a series B in about a year. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about the process that I went through at um, at the Series A stage, which we did a couple of years ago. Um, it's you know, and this is actually something that we we did a lot at Founder.org, where it's like, okay, you're about to raise a round. Um, how do, you know? How do you go about that? Like, there are at this point thousands of funds. Um, you know, there's new ones every day. It seems like, you know, every, every, everyone who's had a lot of people who have had successful exits, you know, they're, they're kind of their next act, act is let me start a fund and, and do this because it's really fun. Um, you know, there's, it's like, well, how do you, if I'm a, you know, an enterprise software startup, um, how do I even figure out where to begin? Because we all know the fundraising process is, it's a slog. You have to have a lot of conversations and you're also doing that, you know, with under time constraints, right? You, you don't have forever to raise money if you're, if you really want to move your company forward and you're at the point where you need external funding or more funding. And so, um, you know, the, the, the whole idea of targeting investors, really doing your research and figuring out you know, who invests at my stage? I mean, there could be a great investor or fund that I've heard about. It's, you know, tier one, everybody knows them, but they don't, they don't invest in at the seed stage or they only do B2C. They don't do B2B um, or, you know, what, or they've invested in a competitor. And so it would, it wouldn't be in my best interest to really go, they're not going to invest in the direct competitor and they're not, you know, and if anything, I'm going to tell them about what I'm doing. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about this at founder.org where it's like, you've got a target. And then once you, once you can kind of narrow your list down to something that's manageable, you got to figure out a way to get a warm introduction. You know, I know all VCs will say, yeah, you know, you can submit your deck and we, we promise we'll look at it. Oh, totally. We look at everyone. And, 
yada 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 right but <laughs> but the the you know the reality is it's like just like anything just like when you're looking for a job it's like if i know somebody at that company you know chances are my resume or you know my deck will get in front of the right person so um so you know the way that i did this for the series a was you know i started with some you know, list, I maybe went on Crunchbase and, you know, did, did a, a cursory search. And, you know, I mean, obviously I've been doing this for a while too. So I have an idea of like, okay, these, you know, I need to do a little more research, but probably these guys would be a good, you know, fit for Gemini. And, and then you're kind of, so you start with a list, you kind of get a sense for what stage and where, you know, what geographies they invest in and, and what kinds of things have been interested, interesting to them, whether it's, you know, um, healthcare or, or, you know, enterprise tech or whatever, right. B2C stuff. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you do that and then you kind of go, you, you go to each individual website and you drill down and you, you try to see, okay, well, who's the right partner if we wanted to, you know, to reach out, who's like the ideal person based on what they've invested on. And then you, and then you see, oh gosh, okay, here's a competitor. Forget, I'm going to take these guys off the list. And I, you know, I probably spent I don't know, a couple of solid weeks just in that, in that process of really, you know, not wanting to waste precious time and not wanting to reach out to people who I knew were never going to invest because we don't fit their profile. Um, you know, narrowing that list down. And then of course, you know, the next stage for me was like, let me go on LinkedIn and let me see who I know or who I know who knows someone <laughs> at this firm, or do I know anybody from any of their portfolio companies that can maybe give me information about what it's like to actually work with them and, you know, uh, tips on, you know, what they look for and how to pitch. And so, so that, that, that's like another whole process. And then you start reaching out to people saying, Hey, can you give me an intro? Um, so kind of long story short, you know, what we're doing with explore is, you know, explore allows you to, upload something as simple as a CSV file um, or plug into different, you know, data sources and bring all this data together and see again, where the relationships are. So what we've done is we've downloaded some data uh, from Crunchbase, you know, just about rounds and investors and how big and when, um, and the companies that they've invested in. Then we've uploaded uh, the, the Midas list, you know, the 2020 Midas list that's like, okay, top 100, VCs for 2020. So we can kind of see, all right, you know, let's, let's, if we're going to, if we're going to raise our, our next round, you know, let's go with somebody that has a good reputation out there um, for success. And then, and then I've uploaded, you know, st we've started just with my contacts um, to kind of see, you know, you pull it into explore and then you can kind of see graphically like, okay, I drill down on, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, they do series B, they do the enterprise tech, Let's see their portfolio companies. I see I'm connected to somebody that works there. I also see that I'm connected to a CFO who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, part of a uh, you know, CFO for a company that Andreessen just, you know, led their Series D. So it's like great. Without having to go to multiple data sources, I can I can I already know what I need. To, I already know like my next step. You know how to how to move forward. It's like I got to reach out you know, to, to Ryan. Um, and before I reach out to that person, I know at Andreessen and, and ask him a little bit what his experience has been. And then Andreessen, obviously, I mean, that's, you know, everybody knows them. They're, <laughs> they're, they're obviously a fantastic firm. Um, but, 
like I said, there's so many, there's so many firms that you, that I haven't heard of, right. That, that we don't know yet because, um, but they could be perfect for what Gemini is doing or what, you know, what your company's doing. So, um, so anyway, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's something that I'm super excited about. And, you know, again, something that I would have, if you would, you know, if, if our CEO had said, Hey, Chris, just go think about like a use case, you know, I probably, I mean, yeah, maybe I would have eventually thought of this, but just being with this group of people that, um, that I don't typically interact with, we were just kind of, you know, brainstorming, right. Cause we had an assignment, you guys got to figure out something for this hackathon and you got to present it in a few weeks. And so, you know, there were people on the team that had much, you know, better product knowledge than I did. We had a sales guy. And so, um, so yeah, we kind of came up with this and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm super excited to actually use this uh, when we're doing our Series B. It sounds like the dream for a lot of founders. Uh, so I really hope you're able to get it out there shortly. Uh, we're going to let you go in just a minute. Uh, but before we do, we like to ask five quick questions to finish every episode. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. What's one finance tool you couldn't live without? Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be self-serving here and say explore for my for my fundraising activity. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I'd say um, one tool that um, that we haven't actually deployed yet, but I'm super excited about um, is SaaS Optics. We still, you know, I'd say we're still at the stage where we we do a lot of things in Excel um, and we do a lot of things manually, and that you know that drives me crazy. Um, but you know, for uh, for you know, for, for revenue recognition and kind of tracking things a little bit better outside of a spreadsheet, I'm, I'm super excited about those guys. If there was one part of your day-to-day -day you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? Um, anything that has to do with the IRS, anything tax-related. Um, I just went through the process of, you know, getting out our 1099s, um, you know, which we sent to contractors here in the U.S. and um, I can't believe it. I thought it was so ahead of the game. I got my forms, you know, already. And then I read <laughs> in January, they're due January 31st. I read that, in fact, they had changed the forms like in late December. And I was like, what? The IRS just how? I mean, luckily I saw this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that kind of stuff, you know, where you try to, you're trying to plan ahead and then like, you know, the tax man throws you a, a curveball. Yeah, that stuff I could, I could, I would love to just have someone handle all that stuff. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received was really early on in my career where um, a, a guy I worked for, you know, said, look, you, you're in finance, it's a support function, um, but, you know, like, be aggressive, like, just because you're, you know, you're kind of in this support function you know, make sure that you are, um, you know, you're, you're, you're very kind of aggressive in terms of getting, making sure you're in the right meetings, like making sure that you're, you're constantly adding value and not just kind of like, oh, okay, here's like, here's the December financial statements, you know, here's what I've, you know, here's some interesting tidbits from there. Um, and I'd say that that has really served me well, because I think a lot of us, you know, in, in finance, we do, we are like, we're comfortable behind the scenes, you know, we're comfortable, um, you know, being it like being in the number two role. I mean, there's a reason why I'm not a CEO or I'm not a, you know, CRO, VP of sales. Um, you know, I like the internal workings, 
But I think sometimes, you know, if I were to like stereotype <laughs> what a, what an accountant is like, or, you know, what a finance person is like, it's sometimes, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're in a support function. And so that, um, that is advice that I definitely would give to anybody starting in their finance career early on. And I, I think, um, you know, thanks Bill Shaheen for uh, having that conversation with me all those 30 years ago. <laughs> Other than Bill Shaheen, which finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Um, I have learned a lot from a guy called Rob Krolik, uh, who was CFO of Yelp, um, took Yelp public. And Rob's a really cool guy because he he's now an investor, um, but he also runs these courses for for finance professionals and his his whole um his whole goal here is to like develop the next generation of public company CFOs you know he 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 says like there's lots of there's so many startups now um that are going to go public there aren't enough um CFOs who have actually gone through that process and everybody wants somebody who has gone through the process. And it's like, there's not enough of us to go around. A lot of us have retired. Um, and, you know, you have to you have to be prepared, you know, to uh, if you're a CFO who hasn't gone through, you know, filing an S1 and doing a roadshow, like you need to have you need to know what to expect and you need to, um, you know, try to get some of that experience. So I did that. Uh, I did uh, Rob's course. Um and, you know, it was fantastic. And he's, you know, I'm on his, his mailing list and he's somebody that I reach out to. Uh, I've reached out to, you know, quite a few times just with questions around, you know, fundraising or um, even just understanding some market trends. Um, he's been fantastic. And so, you know, if you have the opportunity to, to, to um, I don't know what he's doing with his, his courses right now, if he's doing them all online, but um, highly recommend. And then, um, a guy who I worked with in my first job um, when I moved out to to Silicon Valley 25 years ago is, is um, a friend, Mark O'Connor. He's CFO of a company called Bug Crowd. And he's somebody, again, like I've, I've known for years, you know, he's a peer. He's my kind of go-to if I just say, hey, like, you know, if I come across a situation that I haven't come across before like hey mark have you ever seen this before or, you know did you ever have this kind of issue we talk about you know we share kind of um intelligence on investors on you know on on um other folks that you know may be looking for jobs at our company so yeah we we um he's like a great you know he's a great friend and um someone who's had a lot of success in his finance career and um i think it's really important you know again if you're if you're starting your career or you you know you're you're a finance professional again we know we don't necessarily you know we're not always thinking about kind of relationships and networks and so you know keep those you know do what you can to maintain those relationships because you know you'll you'll never figure out all of the things, all of the challenges you come across in your career, you're never going to be able to figure it out without having, you know, a good network to bounce things off of, for sure. And finally, why did you join CFO Connect? I mean, that's that's exactly it. Um, you know, the power of the network. Um, and I'm, I'm the kind of person that, um, you know, I'm always looking to learn more. I'm always looking to learn about new tools. I'm looking to learn about how people have dealt with situations, you know, there's a lot of um, discussion around 
setting up an entity in this country or that country, or how do you expand, you know, in this area? Um, and I've, you know, I've gotten some great advice uh, from the from the network, and I've, you know, contributed, you know, in in a small way, you know, some of my my experience to the network. And yeah, it's really, you know, it's fantastic. I love the fact that it's also very international. And so, you know, if you if I did had a have an issue with like, hey, we, you know, need to hire somebody in France, or you know, we we need to, you know, we're trying to do this in the UK. It's like, you know, I've got, I know, I know where to go to. <laughs> Chris Seibold, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Patrick. It's been great to be with you. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.